0: You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit Rccjax.com All right, good morning. Um, as David said, we're kind of switching gears this um, this week. We're talking about reflections on Ali's sabbatical. No, I'm just kidding. That was my last joke from last time, actually. Um we're switching gears. We're kind of we've kind of been talking about this theme of living beyond us, this serving the Lord, serving the body of Christ, using our resources, using our talents, and they've been very practical, Have been really good the last six, seven weeks talking about uh, this this theme of living for God, and we're switching gears kind of completely and going um, and talking really about something very profound, It's it's Jesus, and it's the person of Jesus, we're going to talk about different aspects, different attributes, different characteristics of Jesus Christ, and for the next six, seven weeks, there's going to be a different speaker every week talking about a different part or different aspect of Jesus and stories about him that have shaped them, have moved them, and have touched them. It's really exciting. I feel like it's something that is really basically an extension of worship. We wanted, as we prayed about this summer and as we prayed about what we wanted to talk about over the course of the summer while it was gone, the staff and some of the folks who are going to be speaking felt like we wanted to just really create an atmosphere of continuous, in a sense, worship, that, that it doesn't just end when Lex and Paul stop singing but, or we stop giving our tithe or whatever, but we're going to enter into worship even as we sit here and listen to this message. I, wanna, I really feel like I want to encourage us to enter in the love of the Father, the love of the Son as we listen to who Jesus is. We're not looking for, typically we're looking for how do I apply this, what is the way in which I can put this in practice in my life, and that, that's fine, that's good, we need to do that. But I want to just make this an extension of worship today. I really want to make this talk, the talk about Jesus Christ, the eternal son, an extension of our adoration of him. There's there's a quote I wanted to use before we begin. Um, It's from Mike Bickle. It says, there is no aspect of God's grace that more powerfully transforms our emotions and satisfies our heart than when the Holy Spirit reveals the beauty of Jesus to us. There is no aspect of God's grace more powerfully that can transform our emotions and satisfy our hearts than when the Holy Spirit reveals the beauty of Jesus. That's, that's really what our our, our hope and our, my prayer is that over the next several weeks that we will see Jesus more fully, more completely, more deeply than we do right now. Not that we're lacking things, but we will never cease to be amazed by His beauty. We'll never cease to be amazed by the truths of who He is. I feel like we have like been given this almost like a if there was a, a, a seashore, we have this little speck or a little handful of sand, and, and during this life, during our sixty or seventy years, we have these these little specks of sand. We can say, "Oh, God is gracious. God is merciful. God is powerful." And then we get to the next life, and, and God says, "Look at look at the seashore. You will never cease to be amazed by my 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 person, my character, my attributes, my power, my justice, my my faithfulness, and we'll we'll we'll, we'll continue to be shocked by His beauty forever." So, I feel sort of heavy as I, as I give this talk. I don't know why. It's, I think it's because it's not like giving a talk about forgiveness or a talk about serving the church. It's like the eternal God. You know, it's like this, this big thing. So I want to just pray as we begin. I want to read the actual text, the, the, the uh, passage we're going to go from, which is John chapter 1. It's, a, it's one of the most beautiful, I think, uh, texts in the whole Bible about who Jesus is. And we're gonna, I'm going to pray as we begin. And I want to just ask you to, like, quiet your hearts. Focus on the Lord. If you don't really, if that's hard for you, just quiet your heart, and 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 I'm gonna ask God to to come and and speak to us. And he does speak. He speaks through his word. This is the clearest way he speaks. So let's just be quiet and continue worshiping the Son. Let's pray. Father of Jesus, I just um, come before you, Lord, with a sense of inadequacy, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that your words, God, would be heard and experienced today, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would awaken, I pray you'd awaken love, God, for the Son. I pray you'd awaken our hearts with extravagant love for the King of Kings, Lord. I pray you'd move us, Lord, to a deeper understanding emotionally and intellectually of who this man is, this God-man, this eternal Son, Lord, I pray that for those of us who don't know you, God, who are still seeking or still looking, Lord, I pray you'd reveal yourself to us, Lord. I pray you'd open hearts and minds, break through smoke screens, break through deception, break through these areas of our lives, God. We need you, Lord. We love you. We want you. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man who was sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that all through him might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to every Man and woman was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent or human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Amen. That is a powerful, powerful description. It covers everything, really. It's the story of Jesus from the beginning, his eternal nature, all the way to him coming as a man. The Word is Jesus. Verse 13 says, or 14 says, the Word became flesh, the Word took on skin, he became a man. Oftentimes, I don't think of Jesus as eternal. I think of him as a man who lived for thirty-three years, and I, I get an idea that he's—and it's true—he's a gentle, humble man. The kids loved him; they sat on their lap and on his lap, and he healed the sick and the lepers, and he forgave, and he said, "Don't cast the first stone." And it's this picture of Jesus as a tender—and he's right—and it's true. It's not there's nothing untrue what I just said. But he's also the eternal God. He's also preexistent. He also lived and lives from eternity. So it says, in the beginning was the word. So it's almost as if, it's like Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning was, was in the beginning God. This is saying, in the beginning, the word. And this word, word, it's a rap song, um, <laughs> is the word logos, is the word logos in the Greek. And that's, that's just the word. It's a, very, it's a very, not complicated word, but it's kind of this all-encompassing word that John, the writer, chooses to use. And it's a little confusing because there's a lot of debate about what it really means because it means a lot of different things in Greek and and, and into the Jewish mindset it meant different things. And it's this all-encompassing word. And I feel like from what I I read this week and what I've known in the past, I really feel like what it's it's basically saying is in the beginning was God's complete message. And God's complete message existed and became a man. That the the message of God, the complete message, person of God, became an actual person, became an actual human being, took on skin, and in whatever, whenever he was born, became a man, and for 33 years he lived. That is sort of this idea. In the beginning was the Word. And he was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God. We believe that as Christians, the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Jesus is God. He is preexistent. He lived from eternity, and he and the Father made the universe. He and the Father made the world. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. That is a little hard to grasp for me. It's a little hard to understand that this man who died on a cross, this man who lived and ate and breathed, actually made the universe. Here are some, some, some facts about the universe. I was reading this week from a book uh, called The Power of Beauty, and it's got some crazy facts about Jesus, the creator. The sun is eight, is about a million Miles in diameter it's approximately a million miles around the earth is 8,000 miles in diameter you can fit over 1 million earths into the space of the sun 1 million of our planets can fit inside the sun the sun is only one star scientists believe that the Milky Way galaxy has 100 billion stars or more Jesus Christ made 100 billion stars it's hard to hard to conceive of The largest galaxy has over 100 trillion stars. That's more than our national debt. That's amazing. That's amazing. 100 trillion stars. The billions don't sound as much when you have a debt that big. So when I say a trillion, okay, now we're talking some stars now. He is powerful. Um, and, And the largest galaxies have more than a trillion stars. On Earth, there's over 10 million species of animals and plant life. 10 million. Each person has over 100 trillion living cells. So this man who lived for 33 years, created DNA, created oxygen. He sustains life. Hebrews 1.3 says this. If you've got it up there somewhere, I'll read it to you if we don't have it. Hebrews one says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Let's stop there. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. So really... The reason why we live is not because we have oxygen, because we have DNA or because we have food or water. The sun sustains life. The sun by his word sustains life. Animal life, plant life, life in general exists because of the sun. This is this isn't this is beyond our understanding. I feel like I feel like as I talk about this it's, it seems surreal or not not even possible. But this God loves us. This God chooses to become a man to create a possibility of relationship with us, to create a possibility of knowing Him. The eternal God, the God that existed before creation, became a man in Jesus Christ. And the word for that is transcendent. It's a word that we probably should all learn. It's a theological word. It just means He's transcendent. He transcends. He's above. He's beyond. He is beyond our understanding. He's beyond um, anything that we could compare him to. It's like saying, actually, this is a bad comparison. LeBron James and me playing basketball. LeBron James transcends my (laughs) basketball ability. But it's more like saying this. LeBron James transcends an ant playing basketball. Because that's the difference between, the distance between the two are so great. That's how different God is than us, in in, in that sense. But then God becomes what theologians call imminent, the imminence of God, and he becomes a man. He draws close. That's what immanence means. It's drawing near. He becomes a person to know us, to to create a possibility of relationship with us. And this this past week, I went and saw um, Superman, which is why I'm wearing the shirt. It's not because I am Superman. But it is... uh, I went and saw the movie with my wife and, I mean, it, I thought it was amazing, to be honest. It was, it was based on a true story. No, I'm just kidding. It is kind of, in a sense, based on a true story. But, but it, was, it was, I thought it was really good. I know some people don't like it very much because he killed somebody at the end, but, um, but, the, but I ruined it. Oh, no. Okay, okay. He may kill somebody at the end. A bad guy. Um, so, but I was just watching this movie, and I was like, man, there are just so many parallels between this story of the superhero, Superman, and Jesus. And I felt like, I mean, there are so many blatant, like, things that he, where he's, like, in a church, one scene, is in a church, and he's talking to this priest, and, the, and he's talking about, should I, you know, reveal myself to the world? And Jesus in the background, I'm like, this is ridiculous. He's 33 years old when, he's, when he begins his ministry. You know, it's like, I mean... He's like from he's from another world. He's kind of all-powerful. His dad you know, sends him to Earth to kind of save humanity. His dad, sa- his dad says to him, You'll give human beings an ideal to strive towards. They'll race behind you, and they'll fall, but in time they'll join you. And his dad's name is Jor-El, and, and Superman's real name is Kal-El, which means literally in the Hebrew, God of hope. El is the word for God. So Superman's been around for a long time, and the director of Superman, Zack Snyder, he said... Clearly, this has Christian overtones, messianic overtones, because the real story of Superman was, is, was pretty religious in a sense. I mean, in the original comic book, Superman's parents were named Mary and Joseph and, <laughs> on, on Earth. And so they changed it to Jonathan and, I think, Martha. But he says, the director said, I wanted to impress upon the film the why of Superman. Why, which has been around for 75 years. The Christ-like parallels, we didn't make that stuff up. We weren't like let's add this in there. It was always there. This is the tried and true Superman metaphor story. So, and Superman even, he even says he says you know I'm I'm not straining straining myself to this, the, the the bad guy. He says I'm straining myself for all mankind. So he has these messianic sort of things. And I'm watching it going man this this is so powerful. And I was like I was like I I want to believe in Superman. Like I want to believe in him. And the reality is we all want to believe in a Superman. We all want to have a person or a cause to live for. And Superman just points us to the reality that we were made to know Jesus. We were made to know God. He is the real Superman. And Superman, you know, the, the story itself, you know, obviously there's a lot of parallels, but in the end, he doesn't die on a cross. In the end, he succeeds. In the end, he wins. He doesn't lose Jesus Christ succeeds, but he he succeeds through humility and through brokenness and weakness. It's a story that seems ridiculous. Honestly, if you think about it, the God of all eternity becomes a man. What? Why? To die on a cross in a little obscure Jewish nation amongst a huge people group of Romans that oppressed them? It's It's an unbelievable story. You know the the very one of the very first pictures of Jesus, one of the very first depictions of Jesus is on a is on a cave, and it's on the wall of a cave, and they found it like in the second 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 century, and, it's a picture of this man on a cross, and below this man, there another man is worshiping him, and is bowing before this man on a cross, and it says Alexamenos Sabate Theos, which means Alexander worships God, and. To have a man on a cross being worshipped as God was ridiculous to the mindset of the average Jew or Gentile. But to top it off, the face of Jesus is not a human face, it's the face of a donkey. Because that's how crazy the story seemed to people. Because it seems foolish to think that a God would come to earth to become a man, to die on a cross. They thought God was... Victorious, God was a king. He's going to come and conquer and destroy and take over the world. That day will come. Jesus will return. And he will come. And he will take over. And he will rule and reign. But he first came as a broken, humble man. The king of kings. And Paul says it beautifully. Paul says this so amazingly. God chose a story that took and takes real faith. Real faith now. He says God chose the foolish thing. Let me read it to you. It's not on the screen. I want to read it though. It says, Where is the wise man of the world? Where is the scholar? Where is the debater of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom that the world can produce? In other words, what we can figure out in our own understanding with all of our mind and our intellect and our, and our gifts and talents. It says this, For since in God's wisdom the world could not know Him, it pleased God through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believed. The Jews wanted Signs and miracles, the Greeks wanted wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God is saving, you and I, to those whom God has called, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And it says this, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. No one, no one has anything to offer God. The ground before the cross, the ground before that cross is level. The ground before that cross is equal. My accomplishments mean nothing. My morality means nothing. My wealth means nothing. The ground before the cross is level. And God chose broken people, and he still does. He looks through the earth, and he chooses the broken and the contrite of heart. And if we think we're strong, if we think we got it all together, if we think we have all the answers, if we think we could figure things out, we need to humble ourselves and come again to the cross. Because God has chosen a story that, that takes real faith. And only a He can move in our hearts. Only He can move in our minds to awaken us to the great truth, the absolute truth of this story. You know, somewhere in eternity, I don't know how, I don't know how it happened, I don't know what it was like, somewhere in eternity... Jesus the Father and God the, um, Jesus Jesus the Son and God the Father had a conversation. I don't know what it was like. It's not in the Bible. It's nowhere in the Bible. This is my own speculation. And I've heard others talk about it as well. But they had to have a conversation. We're going to create people. We're going to create men and women. We're going to create them in our image. And we're going to make them like us in some respects. They can they have the abilities to create and the abilities to, to rule and reign, to, to create cities, to create beautiful things. They're going, to be, they're going to be like us, but they're going to rebel. The Father says they're going to rebel. And there's going to be a cost. And Jesus, Jesus knows what the cost is, and he says, I'll go, Father. I will go. And I don't know how that went, but it went something like that, I'm sure. And for the first time, when Jesus is on that cross, for the first time in all of history, all of history, the billions of years, the universe of the trillions of stars, the first time in history the Son was rejected by the Father. Their perfect love, their perfect unity, their perfect oneness. When Jesus took on my sin, your sin, my rebellion, your rebellion, my shortcomings, your shortcomings, what do you want to call it? He took on rejection. And he says, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, everything is poured on him. Everything that has ever been done is poured on this man, this innocent man. But he's also God, and he's experiencing for the first time rejection from the Father because of of his love for us. And I imagine, I know we've seen the movies, we've seen the, the, the images of Jesus suffering, But I I don't think we understand the suffering that was going on inside this man spiritually and emotionally because I I imagine it was worse than the physical suffering. I mean, the, the sin and the brokenness and the rebellion of billions on him when he has only known communion with the Father, when he's only known purity with the Father, when he's only known perfect love. But he does it because he wants us God created us for partnership and he's, he was willing to, to give it all, to purchase us as a bride. We're called the bride of Christ. That's a weird concept for many men. <laughs> um, but we are. We're the bride of Christ. We're the, it's not romantic in any way. It's not romantic. Let's get that image out. But it's true. We are the bride of Christ for eternity. Revelation 19 says something says it here. I know I have it here somewhere. Sorry about that. Um, basically, yeah, the Lamb of God is worthy and, the, and the, the bride is received by the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God comes to purchase the bride in the new heavens the new earth that we have new bodies, new lives. We're given to rule and reign with him as a partner. And so he partners with us right now. And he says, will you commune with me? Will you receive me? He gives us the right. In John chapter 1, it says this. He gives us the right. If you put that verse back up, I think it's, it's powerful. To all who believe and to all who receive him, he gives us the right to become children of God. Not born of some natural descent, not born because your parents believed it, not born because your family or your culture, but your decision, your right is to choose to become a child of God. And God moves on us and he touches us and he shows us his love and we respond to that love. I feel like I've, I've, I've missed some things and I feel like my, my heart just wants to convey so much that this man, this man is worthy of our love. He's worthy of it all. And if I can say one thing, that's it. I wanted to say that he's worthy of everything we have. He gave it all and he's worthy of it all. And our lives, our lives were created to know and to walk in relationship and in communion with this man. From all eternity, he saw his bride, and he said, I will die to buy them back. I will die to set them free, to give them purpose, wholeness, freedom, and power. And I want to just convey that he loves you wherever you are in this journey, wherever you are in your belief system, wherever you are in your understanding of Jesus. He gives you the right to choose. It's not something that can be forced upon you By your families, by your friends, by your culture, it is a choice, and it is only your choice. And he can only it can only only happen through his grace. So as uh, as we enter in communion, I I believe I want to just I just want to just wait on him for a minute. And we're gonna have communion. I want you to enter in this reality that the Father invites us into relationship with him, the eternal God, the transcendent Jesus who came near. And he loves us. Let's pray. Father, you say, taste and see that you are good. And Lord, I I pray that this morning, God, that we would, as we literally taste the bread and drink the juice, Lord, that we would in our hearts know that you are good and that you are beautiful. God, we love you this morning and we say that we want to know more of you. We want to know your will for our lives and we want to enter in partnership with you for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.